Good morning, family. Welcome. God bless everybody. It's good to see everybody. So as we uh, get into the message today, um, I'm going to open up with Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read verses 10 and 11, um, and then we'll skip to verses 13 and 14. We'll pause and I'll say some things and then we'll get back into it again. And so a few weeks ago, you, you might have been here and if you were here, you might have remembered that I mentioned the surprising purpose of the parables of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus spoke in parables and a lot of times uh, we think that he spoke in parables uh, to make things more understandable, but there's actually a more surprising purpose as to why he spoke in parables. So if you're there with me, let's look at Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read verse 10 and 11, and it reads like this. By the way, Nati, just saw you. Good to see you. Love you, brother. Sorry, I just had to go there. Um, Matthew 13 chapter 10 says this. Then the disciples came and said to him, now this is Jesus. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now I want you to skip to verse 13. Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. I'm going to stop there. I want you to get this. Simply put, the purpose of parables, and if you're taking notes, the purpose of Christ's parables is to reveal and simultaneously conceal. To reveal and simultaneously conceal. Now, in public, Jesus told parables, short stories. But in private, he spoke plainly. I'm going to say that again. In public, Jesus spoke parables, but in private, he spoke plainly. There is a big difference. And I really see the beauty of discipleship coming out of this point. Every time Jesus was asked to expound upon in private, what he taught on in public, he was always happy to explain. You see, Jesus wasn't interested in hiding God, but he was interested in filtering out some things. Let me explain. Here's what parables really did. They hardened the hearts of some repelling them, while they also drew others closer to Jesus 
And as others walked closer with Jesus, they would then experience a deeper understanding of something that was in a parable form. Now, here's what I want to say. Jesus would tell a parable, and some would be repelled, and their hearts would be hardened, and they'd walk away, while others would draw closer into Jesus, and as they got closer to him, he would begin to give them deeper understanding. Are you with me? Now, to make this simple... The parables actually became an effective way to filter out the casual observer from the genuine follower. The parables became a filter, an opportunity for Jesus to be able to weed out the casual observer from the genuine follower. Now, I just want to kind of share with you a little bit about our church planting journey. When we planted Inspired Church, our dream was to fill the church full of Christian contributors, not Christian consumers. You know what the difference is between a contributor and a consumer? A consumer is characterized by someone who consumes a product for their own viewing pleasure. A consumer is characterized by sitting and watching. Someone who is content with just simply showing up. You see, but a contributor understands that God has called them not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. You see, God rescued you and me from sin. He rescued you and I from death and darkness. But he rescued us not so that we can enjoy an occasional Sunday morning sermon, but so that we could co-labor, we could partner with him in his mission to reach the world. We are called to be contributors, not consumers. There was a pastor by the name of Pastor J.D. Greer, and he says this, and I've always heard this, and it just always stuck with me. He says, there are three different ways a Christian can view the church, and he puts this analogy in the form of boats. He says, a Christian can look at the church as a cruise liner. He said, a Christian could look at the church as a battleship, or a Christian could look at the church as an aircraft carrier. Let me explain each one. You see, some view the church as a cruise liner. Anybody ever been on a cruise? Nobody's like, no, I know where you're about to go. I don't want to. Anybody been on a cruise? Just wave at me. It's great. You're not in sin. Praise God. <clears throat> in fact, we're going to go on a cruise in October, so we're really excited about that. It'll be my first time. And I am so excited for the ongoing buffet. Right? Right? I mean, just free food anytime I want. I don't have to pay. Like, you know, I'm just so excited for that. Um, and so, yeah, I'll come back after that and just, you know, November and December, it's just going gonna, gonna to sit. So all that being said, um, there's nothing wrong with the cruise liner. But when a Christian views a church as a cruise liner, um, think about it this way. They look at churches and they, and they respond to churches and enjoy the churches that offer luxuries for the whole family. They're big, they're comfortable, 
they're entertaining. Christians who see church like this usually ask these questions. Is the pastor funny? How long did he preach? Because, you know, i got to get to lunch. Right? How are the facilities? Is the music any good? When these churches cease to cater to these needs, they simply find another one. When you see church as a cruise liner, it becomes a place in which you come and you ask it to make you feel comfortable and entertained so that you can get what you need out of it until it fails to give it to you anymore and you just go find another. Number two, some view the church as a battleship. And we know that a battleship and a cruise liner are two different things, right? Now, let me explain to you. The battleship, this church, is made for war. It's loud and dramatic in the way that it accomplishes the mission. At this church, are you ready for this? The role of the members is to pay the pastors and leaders to find the targets and fire the guns. Members see the programs, services, and ministries of the church as the primary instruments of the mission. Lastly, what I feel like inspire, we're not there, but I feel like we're called to move towards is the aircraft carrier. You see, like a battleship, the aircraft carrier engages in battle, but they don't do it in the same way. You see, aircraft carriers equip planes to carry the battle elsewhere. Are you with me? Members are not consumers or cheerleaders, but they're called to be equipped, refilled, and launched out into the mission field. Evangelism at a battleship church only happens when the pastor says this Sunday we're evangelizing. Evangelism at an aircraft carrier church happens every day of the week, everywhere you go, because you are launched out to do it right where God has strategically placed you. In a battleship church, if you don't have a title or a position, you feel purposeless. Can I say that again? Because I know that I know it happens. In a battleship church, if you don't have a position or a title, if you're not running a ministry, if you're not in leadership, you feel purposeless at the church. Because you feel that your primary desire, your primary call, your primary way of getting purpose is to do something in the church. We don't have enough positions for you all. We don't have enough home groups for everybody here. It doesn't matter. No matter how big it this church gets, we will never be able to put you or everyone in this church in a title, in a position, in a place that will fulfill all your destiny in Christ. Are you with me? And we become codependent on the church and we get angry at the church and we leave the church because there's no room for us. But I want you to know there has to be a fundamental shift in our thought process that God has called you to be on mission wherever you are, everywhere you go. Two things need to happen. When a church sees itself as an aircraft carrier, we have to be careful that we don't uplift the ministries of the church so much that we make people feel like this is the only way they minister. So the church has a role. 
But it's, we have to create a culture where we are equipping and empowering and launching you on the mission and making sure you understand that your mission isn't necessarily to come in and do everything the church is doing, but to go out. Right? To go out. In fact, one of the things that I love what we're doing right now is we're partnering with Miguel and Serena in the back. And I know Miguel, born and raised in Union City, loves Union City. Um, and I know he is head of the Union City Soccer League, yes? And he's not head of the Union City Soccer League. He loves his boys and he loves soccer, but he feels a calling to that. He feels a calling to that. And so we are partnering with him. We're collecting backpacks, collecting all these different things for school supplies. We'll be here the next three weeks. Please drop stuff off. Here's why. Because Miguel knows that he's being just as effective in the kingdom of God out there where he's at and what he's doing just as much as he was inside. And so I know this church, two different types of things are going to happen for members in here. You're going to be called to work in this church, to put your hands to the plow and help grow it. But most importantly, you're going to be equipped and empowered to go out and be the kingdom wherever you are. Are you with me? If you look to me to empower you, I'll fail you. But Jesus already said go. He's already empowered you. Amen? You guys see the difference here? Now, let's get back to the purpose. I could have gone on forever. Let's get back to the purpose behind parables. You know, to those who were only there for the show, the magic show, man, let's go see Jesus. I heard he does these amazing healings. Last day, he multiplied bread. Maybe we can go get a free lunch. To those who were only there for a show, here's another one. To those whose curiosity never turned into affection, the parables became an opportunity to conceal the truth. But to those who were determined to lay down their lives and follow Jesus, the parables became an opportunity for them to draw closer to Jesus and get a revelation of the truth. Parables simultaneously reveal and conceal. Now this morning, I have three prayers for us. I'm going to say these prayers out loud, and then I'm going to pray. Number one, Lord, I don't want to harden my heart to your word, even when it begins to cut me. Remember I told you what parables do? They actually create sometimes hostile people. And you want to know why people became hostile to the parable? Because they realized that in that parable, they were a character that the Lord was rebuking. Hmm. How amazing would it be if I just had a church that said, Pastor Phil, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but Lord, I don't want to harden my heart to your word, even if it begins to cut me at its core. Second prayer, Lord, help me to lean in closer to you. I want to be a genuine disciple. And I understand that in order to know more, I need to lean and walk closer with you and the community that you've called me to. Finally, number three, I want to be a contributor, not a consumer. Help me to view the church and its leadership as a place where I am equipped and empowered to be on mission everywhere I go. Let's pray. Lord, for the rest of this message, I pray that you would open up the ears, that we would hear what you are trying to tell us, I pray over Inspire Church and its individual pieces in this building and as a whole. Will you help us? Will you move us to hear your word, to understand your word, to receive your word, and to move in power outside of these walls? 
And we help us to partner with people all around the world, all around the nations, all around the bay to see your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we go. I know that was an amazing introduction, right? That was long. You're like, wait, that was the introduction. Here we go. I'll make this nice and tidy for you. Matthew chapter 13. I said amazing introduction. What I meant to say is it was a long introduction. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. Let's read this together. This is known as the parable of the sower. Perhaps one of the most important parables Jesus ever told. All of them were important, but this is so vital and so deep. And I hope that you would hear Matthew 13, chapter one, or Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Let's read it. And it says this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. There we are, right? In public, he told parables, right? And he told them many things in parables saying, and here's the parable. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold and some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, this was the parable that Jesus told to the crowds. Now, a little bit later on, the disciples will look to Jesus once the crowds had dissipated and say, can you tell us what you meant by this parable? So listen to what Jesus now tells the disciples in private. Let's skip to verse 18. Verse 18 through 23 is going to be Jesus' commentary on the parable that he just told. It says this. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for that which was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful as for what was sown on good soil this is the one who hears the word and understands it he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold in another 60 and in another 30 now let's break this parable down you ready Talk back to me. In this parable, Jesus is the sower of the seeds. And the seed that Jesus is sowing is the message of the kingdom of God. It's the word of God. Yeah. Now here, 
is what Jesus is telling us. Not everyone will receive God's word in the same way. Not everyone will hear the word of God in the same way, and not everyone will be transformed by the word in the same way. Now, i got to be honest with you as a preacher and as a teacher, as sad as this is, it kind of brings comfort to my heart. And I'm going to tell you why. You see, out of anybody, Jesus was the greatest preacher of all time. Right? I mean, he's the most purest man, the most powerfulest man. And if that doesn't work, he's God in flesh. If there was anybody that was going to see maximum success, it was going to be God himself. And so you ask, why do you take so much comfort from this? Well, the vast majority of the people who heard him preach and teach rejected his message. That takes performance pressure off of me. <laughs> I want you to hear this. The eternal impact of the message is never the result of the messenger. Nor is it the result of the hearer. But it's the result of the Holy Spirit. In the kingdom, success is defined by faithfulness. Were you faithful? Not how many people showed up even though we take score. Now, how many people responded to the altar call? How many people, did they cry when I prayed for them? You ever did that? Come on, we've all been there, right? We pray for somebody and we're praying for them. And if they start crying, we're like, okay, we got something. We hit something, right? Go in, I'm going. I mean, I'm just being honest, right? It's like, yes, Lord, right? Or you pray for someone and you're like, Lord, I just feel, and they're just like, you're like, maybe not, Lord. I just, but I, but stay, stick around in ministry long enough, and you'll see that the people who cried walked away, and the people you thought that would never stay stood. Wow. You, you can't determine the success of the ministry based on outward appearance. You can't. And as long as I'm a pastor and I have insecurities, I will always have to preach this to myself. Because I want to strive and perform, and I want to make sure that everyone says, good job, Pastor Phil. I don't want your good job. I want the Holy Spirit to transform you. That's what I want. Now, back to this parable. Essentially, here's what's being said. Every time God's word is spoken, there are four kinds of people with four kinds of responses to that word. No doubt in my mind this morning, as I preach this word in this room, there are different types of people receiving it. Here's what Jesus is saying. The first type of ground, the first type of reception, the first type of person that hears the word, he calls this the seed that is sown on hard ground. Whenever the word of God, the kingdom of God is preached, there will be people who will be there hearing the word, but the ground is hard. Well, what does this mean? Well, a lot of times when a farmer scatters seed, there's an area that is just a roadway. It's a pathway. It was never meant to be a place of soil. And so in scattering this seed, some of that seed actually fell on the pathway. Now, if you can imagine in a roadway or a pathway, it was not meant for farming. It was meant for trampling and walking on, which means it's hardened. There was no seed going to take any root there whatsoever. There's no roots the seed can't burrow deep. It can't break through. And so what happens is that seed becomes up for grabs, easy prey for the birds of the air. 
You see, this metaphor is not really difficult for us to understand. The hard path reflects the hard heart. These are the people who immediately dismiss dismiss the word. They have no interest in it whatsoever. They might even express immediate hostility towards it the moment you speak it. You might know someone like this. Their mind has been made up and their decision has been made. Now, can I say something really important? There is a difference between skepticism and cynicism. I don't mind skeptics. In fact, I welcome them with open arms. You see, a skeptic is not a believer until they find strong reason to believe. A skeptic wants evidence. A skeptic wants to indulge in dialogue. A skeptic, though strong in their doubt, is humble enough to enter into a conversation and open enough to hear reason and evidence. I love skeptics. God loves skeptics. Theology and coffee makes room for skeptics. Ask your questions. Your questions don't scare the Lord, his word, or me. Are you with me? But a cynic wants nothing to do with evidence. Their minds have already been made up. They are easy prey for the enemy because they reject the word even before they ever hear it. Now, this first ground, this hard ground, is really simple and easy to describe. These next couple of grounds have some, a degree of difficulty to them. They're not as simple as the first. You see, the second one that Jesus talks about is the rocky ground. Seed sown on the rocky ground. Now, here's what's interesting about the rocky ground. There is just enough soil for something to start growing. But because below the surface there are so many rocks mixed in with the soil, the seed grows but never establishes the root it needs to last. Now, this is tricky because the seed does indeed spring up. It shows evidence of life, and it gives the farmer reason to believe that a productive crop will follow. But as soon as it's exposed to the scorching the sun, the seed withers and dies. It does not last. It's only momentary. Now, you don't have to be a follower of Christ very long to experience this tragic reality in the life of people. In fact, there might be some of you in here today that are still experiencing a deep sense of sadness because someone you love for a moment showed signs of life but quickly turned away. These illustrations, these situations leave us guessing and wondering what in the world happens. Was it just a moment of overwhelming emotion? Maybe they were moved by the charisma of the speaker. (laughs) 
Maybe the music matched in with the speaker and the outward gifts and talents and abilities and the lighting and the emotions of the moment sparked some type of response. And so they they were moved in that moment to to make a change. They were moved in that moment to not want to be part of their own life. They were moved in that moment. But in the end, their lives were never truly devoted to Christ. Maybe you can relate. I heard a story about two college roommates who had both got saved on the same night in the same service. They were best friends. They were so excited because they were going to walk this new adventure together. And as they went home, they couldn't stop talking about together what was happening. Can you imagine being saved with your best friend in that same night, same moment, both experiencing such a connection? As they were driving home, they were having great dialogue about what they felt God had done at that service. Yet the very next day, only one woke up and still felt the passion and commitment to follow Christ. And the other one moved on with their lives as if nothing ever happened the night before. This is a scary thought. But it's possible to make a positive response to the gospel and still not experience a faith that lasts. This is why we must be careful. Are you ready for this? Not to rely on superficial things to determine the security of our faith. Just because you said a prayer doesn't mean that you've been regenerated. Some of you in here today are relying, your security, your salvation is relying on the fact that you raised your hand, you signed a card, a commitment card, you responded to an altar, and you professed with your mouth a confession of your faith, and you think you're secure in the Lord. But can I just say to you, are you ready for this? Profession is not good enough. You need possession. You can profess your faith, but not possess faith. You see, profession is speaking and proclaiming, but possessing is walking and living out what you profess. Man. This stings a little, amen, but hey, our prayer today was, Lord, even if it cuts, I want to hear the word. I don't want to respond violently to it. If it cuts, let it cut, because the cut of God is so much better than any other cut. It's like a surgeon who cuts not to hurt you, but to heal you. Are you, are you with me? And so we must understand that the security of our salvation goes far beyond just a simple profession of faith. And as a church, as leaders, we must communicate that because we don't want people to falsely believe and hope in a salvation that really is not theirs. Because as a church, we just wanted to get you to say, 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 do, do, do. Because it fed our insecurity for success. This is the tension as a pastor and as leaders that we live in. Number three, you guys are doing great. I see the finish line. The seed that was sown on the thorny ground. Now, 
Number two might be the most difficult. Number three is definitely the most heartbreaking. One of the most heartbreaking experiences that I've ever had to endure in ministry is to see a seed that takes root actually begins to grow. And where the rocky ground falls down faster than it comes up, the thorny ground actually shows some growth in time. Are you with me? Now watch. This individual fails to produce lasting fruit, not because its roots are shallow, but because the chaos and frustration of life pushed them back into the world. Jesus refers to two very specific obstacles that choke out the word in this person's life. He says this, the deceitful riches, deceitful riches, the deceitfulness of riches. And the second thing he says is what? The cares of this world. Now, just for a moment, I want to look at the cares of this world. I'm not going to take very long, but I just want to say something to you that I think is important. Many times when we come to Christ, we experience a honeymoon. Amen? Amen? Isn't it great? Everything is brighter and more colorful. People are more beautiful. We even receive unexpected blessings in the mail. I got $300 the other day, and I gave my life on Sunday. It must be attributed to that. The bills are being paid on time. Even the people who cut us off, we're blessing them in the name of Jesus. We are experiencing a joy in seeing our Savior for the first time. But give it time. Right? Come on, saints. Some of you have been in the Lord. I'll give it a little bit of time. And we don't tell you because we, know we want you to live in the honeymoon. Give it a little bit of time. Walk a couple more miles. Drive on the freeway a couple more times. Right? In time, our faith is tested. And we realize that the testing is revealing what we were really in this for. Christ is not a genie in the bottle. And we begin to experience storms. And we come to the reality that there is no difference between someone in the world and someone in church that they both get hit with storms. And then we come to the reality that, wait a minute, there is a difference, but it's not on top. It's what's underneath. It's just that one house is built on a rock. The other one was built on sand. Both houses get hit with storms, but only one house survives because it's built on the rock. The mistake we make is thinking that becoming a Christian means no storms. In fact, it probably might mean more storms. But may the storm be a witness to the glory of God to the world around me. May my friends look at me and say, you got hit by a storm, but you've handled it differently. What is it? And may I tell them it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I lost everything. It's Jesus. Wait a minute. I thought you got with Jesus so you can gain everything. Well, you know what? I gained everything and I've lost everything. I know that I lose my life to gain my life. It's Jesus. I got saved. I lost my parents. I got saved. I lost my friends. More people left me. More enemies came against me. But I am built on the rock. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. 
During storms, storms are excellent ways to measure the motivation of the heart. And during the storm, the heart will be exposed. And the question will be, will you endure or will you walk away? When storms happen, two things can happen. It will bring you closer or pull you further away. If we walk away, it's probably because Christ was just the means, not the ends. You get that? If we walked away, it was probably because we saw Christ as a way to get something else. And we realized we couldn't get something else, we ditched Christ. But when we come to Christ, because it's not we want something, it's we want him. He becomes the end and not the mean. And then when the store comes, it actually becomes a tool that conforms us to the image of Christ, our goal and our Savior. Are you with me? Do you see this? Finally, number four. And I want to go ahead and invite David to come up. Finally, number four. The good ground. We're finishing here together. Number one, we had the hard ground. Number two, we had the rocky ground. Number three, we had the thorny ground. And finally, Jesus talks about the good ground. Now, I just want to, I want you to notice the pattern of the good ground real quick. It's he who, ready, hears, understands, and produces fruit. Hears, understands, and produces fruit. Now, there's so many, I could preach a whole sermon just on good ground. But I just want to focus on two things, okay? I just want to. I want to focus, I want to extract what I think are maybe some of the most important elements of good ground today. And then I'm going to pray with you and we're going to head out. But there are two elements, two things I think we need to know about the good ground. Are you ready? Number one, good ground does not refer to good people. There is nothing you did to earn God's grace. Nothing. Good ground doesn't come to good people. It's like, well, you know what? I heard the word and I came to church and, you know, I did this and I did that. And because I was somehow a shining star in this dark world that God was like, you know what? You're a good person, so I'm going to give you the good word. Wow. No. Good ground does not come to good people. There is a difference. Nobody is good. In fact, you were dead. You were dead. You were lost. You wanted nothing to do with God. You didn't come to him. He came to you. You didn't invite him in. He invited you. He is the divine initiator. He initiates. We respond. That's worship. He initiates. We respond. And so you're here today, not because you're a good person, because you're responding. That you are a bad person who believed the good gospel. Why do you go to church? Why do you live the life you live, Philip? Why do you pick up your cross? Why do you abide by all these rules? This is my response. I'm a bad person. I break the rules. But I commit because he first committed to me. And now I delight and I worship. This is a, this is a sacrifice of my worship. This is my worship. This is Sunday. You know what? Sunday mornings is my worship. You know what this does for me as a believer in Christ? When we become gripped with the reality that you had nothing to do with the good ground, 
When you become gripped by this reality, it transforms our worship and our witness. It transforms it. What do I mean by that? It transforms my worship. God, I didn't choose you, but you chose me. And there was nothing special about me. It came to me as a gift. Could have easily rejected and walked away. I was dead. Wanted nothing to do with you. And out of that comes humble worship. And you know what it does? You know what it destroys? Christian entitlements. Some of us are so religious and legalistic. We look at somebody, how dirty and why did they wear that? We have the audacity to tear them apart, not knowing that your ground isn't very good. In fact, it was dead ground. It was dead. And the Lord took his sweet time with you. And if there's somebody here and the Lord's taking their sweet time with them, then we rest in the tension of discipling them, but also letting the Holy Spirit do what he needs to do story of my life transforms my worship transforms my leadership transforms the way I'm discipled and the way I disciple others and it also transforms my witness because now I know that I am there and I know I'm not better than anybody else that it's out of compassion that I minister to people and people respond to compassion they don't respond to religion with me humble worship compassionate witness when we realize that good ground has nothing to do with good people it's only by the Holy Spirit finally you knew I had to fit this in here for those of you that were so excited about number one I'm going to move you right back to the middle of number two salvation is free but we work out our discipleship not amazing we work out our discipleship because don't forget Jesus says good ground produces what fruit and then he says he puts numbers on it he says some 30 full some 60 some 100 you know what he's saying he's saying this is that there's going to be different degrees in which people produce fruit I want you to see this Good ground, not good people, hear me out, produces good fruit. In other words, everyone who receives God will bear fruit. And again, there's 30-fold, there's 60-fold, some 100. Now, why? Why? You see, when it comes to our salvation, all we do is receive it. It is free. We didn't earn it. There's nothing we can do. It just came to us and we receive it. That's called divine initiation. But... The rest of our Christian life, we're called to walk it out with Jesus. We're called to grow in grace daily. We're told to work out our faith with fear and trembling. I want you to see this. We partner with God, not in regeneration, but in sanctification. This means some Christians will work harder at growing in Christ while others will barely produce enough fruit to get into the kingdom. This is the power and the possibility of Christian discipleship. Whether we barely bear fruit or whether we produce abundant fruit depends upon our commitment 
to grow and walk our discipleship out with Christ. And so you have a responsibility to respond in worship to the free gift by laying your life down and saying, conform me into the image of Christ. You have a responsibility to let the Holy Spirit daily guide you out of those things that so easily ensnare you. You have a responsibility to lean in on the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you could never do. You have a responsibility to hate sin. You have a responsibility to be not conformed to the things of this world. It's a fruit that only comes by subjecting yourself, committing yourself to discipleship, to sanctification, partnering with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to do inside of you what you could never do on your own. Do you see this? Do you see this? It's not a contradiction. It's not. I want you to know, and I'm going to finish here. The Lord is pleased and Jesus is glorified when his people produce fruit. The Lord is pleased and Jesus is glorified when his people produce fruit. I'm going to pray two things. The first one is, if you don't know the Lord, if you don't know him, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to pray that today would be the day. You don't raise a hand. You don't stand up and repeat a prayer. But today would be a day beyond the superficial things that you would go deep in your heart and say, you know what? I want to know you. I want to believe in you. I want to trust in you. I want to know that you died. I want to know that you lived a righteous life, a life that I could never lead. I don't have to be perfect, but you were. And I want to put my hope, faith, and trust in knowing that you died, you rose again, and you gave me new life. And the second thing is for those of you that are struggling in your discipleship and you're not producing fruit and you're worried that the production of your fruit might show a sign that you're not really saved. You're worrying. Every time you come here, you're worrying you're dealing with that tension I want you I want to tell you to commit your life to the development of that fruit part of the reason why you may not be developing fruit is because you are still a consumer you're not subjecting yourself to a closer discipleship with Christ and his community find a church it doesn't have to be inspire but the church is the primary way in which Jesus and his spirit will disciple you Let's pray. Heavenly Father, seed has been scattered all over this building. And this is not my word. You're the sower, Jesus. I'm just the steward of this. This is your word, your message. And there's soil all across this room. And unfortunately, we can't control. But Lord, I pray two things. Number one, if there's anyone in here today that doesn't feel like they're a genuine follower of Christ, today they would put their heart, their mind, their eyes, and set it on you, Jesus. Right where you're at, in your own words, in your own way, Scripture says you have to confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord. The beautiful gospel, good news for bad people. And I pray for those in here that are moving in discipleship I thank God for those that are producing a hundredfold I thank God for those that are producing 60 even 30 but I pray that we would all take next steps would this be a church of next steps
Maybe your next step doesn't look like the brother that's been saved for 10 years or the sister has been saved for 20 years. But what is your next step? Take it. What is your next step? Take it. Break the wall that has stopped you. Break the wall. Every time you've gotten to this point, you've always gone backwards. Some of you in here, you keep getting to a place for the last 10 years, 5 years. You get to a place and then you take steps back. Break the wall. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we're here to help you break this wall. God, I don't want to just produce 20 fruit. I don't want to be that barely made it Christian. Father, do what you do best. Holy Spirit, take control. We love you. We honor you in this place. Don't make inspire great. Make your name great. And can we just be a part of that? Can we just be a part of that here in the Bay Area? So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word, for it's true and has the power to renew our minds. It cuts, but it also builds up. So, Lord, I pray you bless your people. We ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. And God bless you guys. Enjoy the rest of your week. Theology of Coffee on Wednesday. Baptism class. Take that next step. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday.